Welcome to the podcast for Church of the Nazarene. We invite you to subscribe to this podcast for the latest updates and new episodes. You can also search for our podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcast, and TuneIn. Make sure to join us each Sunday at 9 on Facebook Live. Our in-person service times are 9 and 10.30 a.m. in English and 11.45 in Spanish. Also, Celebrate Recovery meets each Monday night at 6.30. We are in the midst of a series called For What? For What? And here's really what we're doing throughout uh, the month of February is we're talking about what we're for as a church. What we are for. This is important to declare emphatically in these days what we are for. What we are for. Too often the church, the church uh, in America is known so much for what they are against. And so throughout this series, we just want it to be clear to those who are part of our church, to those within our community, here's what we're for. Here's what we're for. Uh, this series directly links to our mission statement. And our mission statement is this, transformed by God to bring hope to others through Christ. This is what we're about. This is what drives what we do and what we're about. And so last week, in the first week of the series, first two weeks, we really talked about this, this first part of what it means to be transformed by God. What does that mean when we say that? And so week one of the series, we talked about we're for Jesus. That's good news, right? That we as a church, first and foremost, we're for Jesus. It's about him. It's because of him that any transformation in our lives is, is because of Jesus Christ. And last week, last week if you were here, we talked about the fruit of that transformation is this idea of holiness. Holiness. We spent a lot of time last week kind of unpacking what does that really mean and how is it that holiness really is possible in our lives. Freedom. Freedom available to us because of Christ. And now, now this week and next week, we're going to talk about the second half of this statement. Not just what it means to be transformed by God, but what does it mean now for us as a church to be for bringing hope to others through Christ. And so this week, we're going to talk about this idea that we are for compassion. We are for compassion. What is compassion? Literally, that word means to suffer with to suffer with. But I think it's important to note, when we talk about compassion, we're always talking about action. We're not just talking about emotion. We're not just talking about a feeling. We're not just talking about, you know, a, a commercial that makes us tear up. And mm, Okay, well, then we go throughout our day. No, no, no. Compassion always involves actions. So often I like to describe compassion as love in action. Love in action. That's what compassion is all about. And we, we are for compassion. Why? Because it's the way that we carry the love of Jesus to everyone. Everyone. Everyone that God brings into our lives. Whether they're like us or whether they're different than us, we're for compassion because it's how we carry the love of Jesus to every single person in our lives. So we're going to dive in in just a minute. Before we do that, I want to pause. I want to take kind of a, a bird's eye view a big view of scripture and understanding how this idea of compassion plays its way through uh, the story of God. In Exodus chapter 34, in Exodus chapter 34, uh, something pretty profound is happening. God is revealing himself. He's revealing his character to the children of Israel, to the nation of Israel. And in Exodus 34 verse 6, the Lord says this. He says, the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love 
and faithfulness. As he's revealing his character, the Lord says, the Lord is the compassionate one, right? He's compassionate. And in Hebrew, that word compassion, it's kind of a fun word. It's the word rahum, rahum. Now, uh, you may want to try that later on your own, but you get a little fun Hebrew, right? The, the word compassion is rahum. And the word compassionate, very similar, rahumim, right? So throughout Scripture, throughout the Old Testament, we see these ideas uh, of compassion. But there's a third word you can see on the screen that looks a little bit like those two. It looks a little bit like those two. And and Hebrew scholars often connect these words together. Not just rahum, which is compassion, or rahamim, which is compassionate, but this other word, this other word, rahim, Rahim, which is the Hebrew word for womb, womb. Literally, throughout the Old Testament, compassion is seen as centered on someone's core, as intimate as a mother caring for her newborn baby. This idea of rahum, compassion, it communicates deep emotion. Sometimes it's often translated deeply moved. And throughout the Old Testament, it involves action, specifically the action of God in the world. His rahum, his compassion. I highlight this, and I highlight Exodus, because you have to understand what's happening in the book of Exodus and why this matters to the story of God. In Exodus... In Exodus, the Israelites are in suffering. They are enslaved. And so God, the God of compassion, he delivers them. He rescues them out of captivity, out of slavery. And in Exodus 34, which we started with, he declares, as he delivers them from slavery, I'm the God of compassion, the God of compassion. The problem is the Israelites, they ultimately reject. They reject the love and compassion of God. They rebel, and and it results in all kinds of violence among themselves and others, and ultimately they are led into exile at this dark moment in history. The prophet Isaiah speaks powerful words, powerful words about the rahum, the compassion of God. Listen, in Isaiah 49, uh, the, the prophet Isaiah says this, Can a mother forget her baby and have no compassion on the child she has born? Though she may forget, I will not forget you, the prophet Isaiah said. Do you see this? In the midst of the children of Israel rejecting the compassion and love of God, still in the midst of exile, the God of compassion says, I will not forget you. Keep reading in Isaiah. Again, we're trying to understand the story of God and this idea of compassion throughout. If you keep reading the book of Isaiah, you'll see that this compassion of God leads to the promise The promise of a Messiah. The promise of one who will come. And Jesus comes. He is the ultimate fulfillment of God's compassion. God's compassion. In the New Testament, in the New Testament, we have a different word for compassion. Uh, It's oiktirmos. And you don't need to necessarily know what that means. Except to know in the New Testament, when we see this word, it's often translated compassion. But also this idea of deep Mercy, deep mercy. And the ministry of Jesus is is characterized by this kind of compassion. Time and time again, we see Jesus preaching, performing miracles. And the Bible notes many, many different times that he was moved with compassion. He was moved with compassion. In his teachings, Jesus would say it this way. He would say, uh, it's often quoted in your scripture, be merciful 
be merciful as your father is merciful. But if you look at that word, it's, it's the word oiktirmos. And so some translations even say, be compassionate, Jesus said, as your father is compassionate. Jesus, even in Matthew 23, he compares himself to a mother hen sheltering, protecting her young beneath her wings, the God of compassion. Of course, we know the ultimate display of compassion was not just through Jesus's ministry, not just through his teachings, not just through his healings, but ultimately what the display of compassion by giving his life, taking on our sin. If the definition of compassion is to suffer with, then what Jesus did, he suffered on our behalf, giving himself on the cross. This is this idea of compassion throughout the story of God. I was thinking uh, this week about this idea as I was preparing for today and thinking of, of some examples of seeing, witnessing compassion happening in our world. And I was drawn to this story. It's, uh, it's a store owner in Houston, Texas. And many of you are aware of the deep kind of crisis that was happening in Texas as many were without power, without water, without food. And uh, th- this man's story struck me. Watch it with me. Jim Mattress Mac McInvale had opened one of his gallery furniture stores to help the hundreds of thousands of Texans who have been without heat, power, or water for days. He joined us from that store, Turned Shelter Now. And Jim, thank you so much for, what you, for, for joining us this morning. What you're doing is, is very, very generous, but it's not the first time you've done this. You did this also for Hurricane Harvey. So what prompted you to open your doors again? Well, Michael, the people were freezing in their homes. They had no heat and no electricity and then compounded the problem with no water. They were freezing. And I talked to the mayor on Monday night. I said, can we do it Monday night? He said, the roads are too dangerous. And then Tuesday, he said, go ahead and open. And we had almost 1,000 people come in Tuesday, 300 spent the night Tuesday night. Same thing on Wednesday. So lots of people with lots of needs. And we are more than happy to open this furniture store to serve the community because that's why we exist. And, and, you know, we see people sleeping behind you, Jim. And, and from meeting all these people who have come into your store, can you get a sense of just how badly this has affected them? You know, they're not as traumatized as they were during Harvey when they had to wade through four feet of dirty water to get here. But they're just as emotionally distraught because the routine of home, the routine of uh, lights and water and being warm has been totally disrupted. They don't know when they're coming back to their house. They're calling almost every hour to the neighborhood or to the apartment complex. Are the lights back on? So their lives have been totally disrupted by this terrible power outage and the water shortage. So it's a tough situation, and we try to make it a little easier for them by getting them on a good Tempur-Pedic mattress, making sure they have lots of warm food and uh, lots of camaraderie here with 300 people here, 100 children, about 200 adults. And, and just one more question for you. Is there anything that you want Americans who are watching us right now, is there anything that, want, that you want them to know about what is happening there in Texas? Well, I want them to know, first of all, that your parents are some of the best customers of Gallery Furniture. And secondly, I'd like all Americans to know that one of our strengths is when adversity hits, we all tend to come together. We forget about our differences. We focus on our similarities and our commonalities. And that's what's happening in this crisis. As I was walking around last night talking to these people, all races, all colors, all creeds, all ages, they, they had that American optimism that tomorrow was going to be a better day. Now, I, I don't know Jim personally, the owner of the store, but, but somewhere along the way, I think he made a decision. 
He made a decision that his business was not just about selling furniture. You heard it there in his story as he said, we're here to serve the community. We're here to serve the community. Even learning what it is to suffer with them in their need. We're going to be uh, in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Everything I've said today is to get us to this. So if you have your copy of scripture, if you would open it with me. Just a few verses today. I want to look at today everything that we've, uh, we've read so far and heard about this God of compassion throughout the Old Testament. Uh, Jesus himself showing us compassion as we read through the New Testament. And now uh, the Apostle Paul is going to write these words in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. We're going to start today at verse 3 and just cover verses 3 through 5. This is the word of the Lord for us today. Paul says this. He says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort. I want you to see this here. I've highlighted it, and we're just going one verse at a time, but I want you to see that Paul is reflecting on who God is, and he declares emphatically he is the Father of compassion, or Tirmos, right? The Father of compassion and the God of all comfort. He's, he's, as he's reflecting back, he, he's just considering all that God is, all that he's about, and the number one thing that he declares, man, praise be to our God, Father, our Lord of Jesus Christ. He is the Father of compassion. Compassion. Our minds automatically, when we read this, the Apostle Paul, he, he was a good Jew. He knew his Old Testament scripture. As he declares this, our minds go back to the words in Exodus, the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God. He is the Father of compassion. Not just the Father of compassion, but the God of all comfort. And, and here, this is significant because if you look in your scripture, you see the word comfort, but literally it's the same word that's used throughout the New Testament as the Holy Spirit, the comforter. So he is the God of compassion and the God of comfort. The God of comfort. Let's keep reading. Uh, verse 4. So, so again, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It says in verse 3, the Father of compassion, the God of comfort, who, in verse 4, comforts us in our troubles. So that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. Pause. What is, he, what is he saying here? There's a lot of comfort and a lot of things going back and forth. He is saying there's this connection now between compassion and comfort and suffering. Remember, remember, we define compassion as to suffer with. And so what's Paul saying here? He's saying in our suffering, we experience the God of comfort, the God of compassion. He suffers with us in our pain. Some of you today, some of you watching online, some of you here in the room can testify. There was a moment in your life where you were suffering, but the God of compassion showed up. He, he was with you in your pain. He suffered with you in your suffering. But don't miss, this is so important. And what does Paul say? He's not just acknowledging that God suffers with us in our pain. The, the God of compassion shows up, but... We aren't just comforted, Paul says, for our own benefit, for our own good. But we are comforted. We, we are met with this deep compassion so that we can share that with others. We don't have to conjure up comfort. We don't have to kind of work compassion up. We really can't do that. Instead, we, we comfort because we have been comforted. 
We give away compassion because we have been given it richly. All compassion starts with God and is completed when we are compassionate to others. We don't just receive our compassion from God. Oh, thank you, thank you. No, no, no. We in turn are to share that, to give it away to others in our lives. And finally, verse 5, he says this, For just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, so also our comfort abounds through Christ. Language here reflects kind of this overflowing, right? That we're sharing abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, but our comfort is abundant too, right? Paul, Paul can talk about suffering because he had some suffering in his life. Later in the same book, 2 Corinthians, if you flip over to, and you can do it later to chapter 11, Paul kind of highlights, he highlights some of the suffering that has occurred in his life. He lists some of them. That, that he'd been flogged numerous times, beaten numerous times, shipwrecked multiple times, in prison. You almost can't believe it. You almost think this isn't real. But you read along, and then I like to joke, it's, he, he talks about danger in 2 Corinthians 11. All the different times that he's been in danger in his life, I joke, it's like the green eggs and ham of danger. Like, literally, it's like, I was in danger from rivers. I was in danger from bandits. I was in danger from, I was in danger with a fox in a box. Not literally, but it feels like that, right? Literally, it's this exhaustive list of all the things and all the danger and all the hard things that has happened to him. Paul knew something about suffering. But yet, he viewed them, in verse 5, he says, the sufferings of Christ. To Paul, these were not just isolated, unrelated events. They were somehow used by God. Used by God for a greater purpose. Perhaps most importantly, he viewed Christ as present with him in his suffering. As he talks about the sufferings of Christ, he identifies with Christ in his suffering. This God of comfort and compassion was with him even as he suffered. This idea, this phrase that I've been thinking through uh, this week as I've been preparing, maybe it'll help you. It's helping me. See, I believe compassion, compassion flows out of us because it has been poured into us. I want you to see that's what Paul is saying in 2 Corinthians 1, that this compassion, this comfort, this heart that beats for others. It flows out of us because it has been poured into us. It's not, it's not an emotion that we have to conjure up. It's not a feeling that we just, it's not, for some of us, maybe we identify compassion as something we just feel guilty about and say, well, I guess I should help others. I guess I should do That's not what it's about. It's this reflection that because of what has been poured into us, this compassion and comfort and love pours out of us. It flows out of us to others. I have a, a, an illustration today that I think might be helpful as we think about this idea of compassion flows out of us because it has been poured into us. Let me grab my prop over here. This is not a complex illustration, but I think it's one that might help us today as we think about our lives and we think about what Christ has done for us. Because you see, most of us, uh, I hope today, can acknowledge or will acknowledge that Jesus has loved you. God has loved you. The God of compassion has loved you. And, and at some point, I pray in your life, you'll receive that compassion. You'll look at the cross and realize that Jesus didn't just die for everyone. He died for you and you and you. And we receive that compassion. And so in doing that, it's a little bit this idea. Again, remember, what are we talking about? Compassion flows out of us because it has been poured into us. And so at some point, I pray, if it hasn't happened already, you'll be able to step back 
That God will give you vision of your life and he'll be able to give you vision of moments, times in your life when he has loved you. When you were, you were suffering, you were in pain, but you can look back and say, man, I wasn't alone. God showed up. He, he suffered with me, this God of compassion. You could look on the cross and say, wow, I was an enemy of God. I deserve death and destruction. But Jesus came and he suffered not just with me, for me, in my place. And when we do that, you know what we do? We receive. We are filled by the love and the compassion. And, and I pray, you know, sometimes it may stop there, but I pray for you. That you will allow the God and Father of compassion to fill you all the way up. That you receive. Receive his love, receive his compassion, that you look on the cross and, and identify, wow, this father of compassion, this God of comfort has loved me and we receive that well. But, but see, the challenge here is, the challenge here for us is the truth of 2 Corinthians 1 doesn't stop here, but for some of us it does. It does. We, we like being filled, right? We like, hey, God, fill me up. Love me. All of these things we identify with, but the promise of 2 Corinthians 1 is that we don't just receive the love and compassion and comfort of our God for our benefit. The vision of our life is not this, where we're filled up to the top and, and that's good. No, no, no. The vision we're given is being filled beyond what we can contain, right? We, we are filled. Why? So that we can overflow. So that we can overflow so that we can spill over into others, right? That's the vision that we're given. That's the vision, is that our comfort it flows so that it overflows to others. I, I was thinking this week, I was thinking this week of some people in my life that are, I would say, are compassionate people. They're compassionate people. They just, it seems like, you know, some of us that, that maybe aren't as good at that, we see people like that and we just kind of think, um, man, are they just like natural? Were they just born that way? But, but I was thinking of my friend Jeff. He, he is uh, the director at Hope Distributed. Uh, and I've gotten to know Jeff a little bit over the last uh, year or two. And, and Jeff's story, the reason that Jeff is compassionate, I've learned, is not just because he's good at it, not just because he has some skills. It's because as I've learned Jeff's story, I realize there's moments in his life where he's, he's had the, the God of comfort and compassion pour into him. Literally, Jeff tells the story that he was, uh, he grew up and, and his mom was a single mom and she worked really hard, but they struggled. They struggled to have their basic needs. They struggled as hard as she worked that he remembers coming home and there wasn't really food. And sometimes they wouldn't know necessarily where their next meal was going to come from. But in his pain, in his suffering, God sent people. He, he sent people into his life that he looks back now and says, wow, the God of compassion showed up for me. The God of compassion showed up for me. So now when Jeff is up here at Hope Distributed and he's helping feed and clothe and minister to people, he's not just doing that out of some guilt or some obligation or some moral, oh, that's good. No, no. He's doing it because the God of compassion has filled him, right? And so what happens when the God of compassion fills you? You, you overflow, you overflow, and, and that compassion that you have received now overflows into others as Jeff ministers to people through Hope Distributed. He's just allowing the compassion, the compassion to flow out of him into others. I think about another friend that I get to work with here at the church. Her name's uh, Felicidad, and she's, uh, many of you, if you've been a part of the church in Nazarene for a while, you might know her. She works with our Esperanza Viva campus, and Felicidad just has a huge heart for others. She just has a huge heart of compassion for other people. 
and I look at that and I just think, man, God, you might have just gifted her. That might be true, but, but I thought about her story. You see, not that long ago, Felicidad found herself in her journey as a single mom, trying to figure out how in the world do I help raise three boys? And she has testified many times that the church showed up for her. And when she says that, she doesn't mean the building. Like, she means people. People of God showed up in her life. That godly men came around her boys and and loved them and taught them to do things that she didn't know to teach them. And they showed up. In her suffering, people showed up. God used people to show her compassion when she was in her deepest need. And so now... I know, I know it's not a coincidence when I watch her love others and serve others and give to others. It's not just because she is good at that or gifted at that. It's because the God of compassion has so filled her that she overflows. Her compassion overflows to others. This is what Jesus said. He said, what good is it? What good is it if you love those who love you? What good is it, right, if you pay back those that are going to pay back you? In other words, Jesus said this. He said, even the sinners do that, but but, but love your enemy is what Jesus said. Love your enemy. And then, then, as I've already said, he he says these words that often get translated merciful, but but that root word there, oitirmos, is compassionate. He, He said, be compassionate as your father is compassionate. Let this compassion that has been poured into you overflow out to others, to all people, to those you like and those you don't, to those you agree with and to those you don't, those that look like you and to those who don't, those that make you comfortable and those that make you uncomfortable because of the deep compassion that has been poured into you. May it flow out into others. As we uh, prepare to close in a minute, there's a certain person, maybe a group of people that I've been thinking of this week. As I was praying and thinking about this idea of compassion, you know those people in your life, and, and it might be a good time to not make eye contact when I say this with anybody, but you know those people in your life that are just hard to love? And I don't actually mean they're hard to love because they're difficult or cranky or some of you turned and looked. That was very risky of you, but good job. Okay. Uh, This is what I mean. I don't mean that they're difficult or they're cranky or they're not mourning people or they're not. I mean, I mean people that are hard to love because they struggle to receive love. They struggle to receive love. Like you, you could... Buy them something. Do something nice for them. Tell them something. Kind words. And and no matter what, they always tend to kind of push back against it. They could be in in a room like this and hear it proclaimed, you know, God loves you. The God of compassion. And that person could look around the room and believe somehow that that's true for everyone else except them. And I know I'm, maybe it feels like I'm being hard on you. Maybe... Maybe you feel that way. Maybe you wrestle with that because of deep pain from your past or or rejection or times when you didn't feel the compassion and love of God. Times when, when you felt alone in your pain. Times when people didn't show up for you. But for whatever reason, as I was thinking and praying this week, I was thinking of you. The person that maybe you struggle to feel like you have to earn love. 
somebody gives you something, you feel like you got to give them something back. You just can't ever receive love, grace, compassion. I was thinking of you. And this is why. Because as we lean into this idea of compassion, as we understand what it is that God tells us that compassion is really about, my question is this. For, for that person that struggles to receive love, to receive compassion, how can they learn to give that love and compassion away? If we can't, if we can't learn to receive, right? What is the illustration that as we are filled, it overflows to others? But what about the person that can't truly learn to receive, to be filled by the love of God, that is convinced they're not good enough, they could never be, they could never be religious enough for that person. You were on my heart this week. Because I think for you, this idea of compassion seems unattainable. It seems like that's other people are good at that, but not me. And maybe it has nothing to do with you being a, having a bad heart or, or you being selfish. or you be, Maybe it has everything to do that you have not truly learned what it is to receive the love and grace and compassion of your heavenly father. The same God that said, <laughs> you could be a hundred sheep, right, right, but I'm going after the one that is lost. I'm not just staying with the 99, that, that if you were lost, if you were the one, he would leave everything behind to come find you. That's, that's the God that we serve today. And maybe, maybe it's just one person today, but if that's you, and you would say, yeah, I struggle sometimes to truly receive the unmerited favor of God. I, I didn't earn it. I can't deserve it, but he loves me today. I, I want to pray for you. I want to pray that somehow you'll look upon the face of our Lord during this Lent season as we journey towards the cross, as we journey towards Easter. I pray something will happen in your heart where you will receive the love and grace, the deep compassion of our Lord and Savior, not just for your own benefit. Oh, I pray that would be true, but so that you can live a life overflowing with comfort, overflowing with compassion, not because you have to, because you've been so deeply filled with his love and compassion. Would you stand now? I wanna pray for you today. I wanna pray for you watching online. I don't know who it is today that I'm praying most for, but I just wanna pray that we, the body of Christ, we, the church, we say we're for compassion. So today, let's start by receiving the love and compassion that has been freely given. He holds nothing back today from you. So God, today, whoever that person is, they're struggling. They're struggling to truly believe that you love them. They're struggling to believe that they could be forgiven and free from their past. They're struggling to truly receive your love and compassion for them. I pray for them now. I pray that you would break strongholds. I pray that you would tear down walls, barriers that have kept them divided and closed off from your love. I pray that you would heal the wounds, the pain from the past, that today they could look on you and, and receive your love. You're not a God of condemnation today. You're a God of love. And as we receive your love, as we receive your compassion, it flows 
and overflows and overflows to everyone. Whether we mean to or not, we're people of compassion because you have poured out your love and compassion to us. We love you. We need you. We, we worship you now, the God of love, the God who loved us, who, who showed up for us when we're in need. Some of us, maybe today we're in need. I pray that we would sense the God of compassion showing up today in our suffering, in our pain. We love you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Thank you so much for listening today. You can email us at info at cotnaz.org for any questions about our church. When you're done listening, please subscribe to this channel for the latest updates and new episodes.